Greetings, friends. My name is Jessa McLean, and I'm here to provide you with some blueprints of disruption. This weekly podcast is dedicated to amplifying the work of activists, examining power structures, and sharing the success stories from the grassroots. Through these discussions, we hope to provide folks with the tools and the inspiration they need to start to dismantle capitalism, decolonize our spaces, and bring about the political revolution that we know we need. 1.7 million people rely on the TTC every day. That is the public transit system in Toronto. And anyone who has ever lived there will tell you it's wholly inadequate in meeting the needs of the city's residents or the folks who have to bus in every day to work in the city they can't afford to live in. Even with an annual budget of over $2 billion and monthly passes that cost $156, service cuts continue to plague the system. These cuts mean things like cancelled routes, longer wait times, overcrowding on the subways and buses, stress on the system all of which have real impacts to real people, mostly low-income people. I absolutely dreaded my daily commute when I worked in the downtown core. Having to make transfers at the busiest stations just wreaked havoc on my anxiety. It set the tone for my entire day and was just awful for my mental health as a whole. And it seems like there's always more service cuts and fair hikes on the way. It's also not uncommon to have massive expansion, much needed expansion projects stall, miss targets by years, or even fail to materialize altogether. The Scarborough RT, Rapid TO, the Eglinton Crosstown. As an alumni of York, I spent my whole time there watching the completion date sign get scratched out, a new sticker put up with the date pushed back and back. I never did get to take the subway to school, despite it being promised by the end of my first year there. That, of course, is public-private partnerships for you. Toronto also has a mayor's race on right now, and there are a lot of people desperate to get transit to the top of the issues list without it resulting in demands for more cops. This all means a lot of work for advocates of public transit in Toronto. And there is one group in particular that appears at the forefront of demanding better. They are TTC riders. They use a variety of tactics to highlight the many, many threats facing public transit. And as we'll hear, sometimes to cause quite a stir. We're lucky to have a pair of volunteers from TTC Riders joining us for this episode, a veteran of the movement, so to speak, someone who's been with the group since its beginnings, and a youth, newer to activism. Two different perspectives on the fight for public transit, hopefully one day free public transit. They will tell you why this avenue of advocacy is crucial to the people of Toronto and the fight against climate change. They'll also explain what it is about TTC riders as an organization that keeps them engaged while securing some impressive victories over the years. Here's Jamie and Herman. Welcome, Jamie and Herman. Starting with Jamie, can you both introduce yourselves to the audience? Um, Yeah, hello. I'm Jamie. I'm a transit enthusiast and transit advocate with TTC riders. Um, and I ride transit normally like four times a day. So uh, I notice a lot of the issues that 
transit riders are facing. And yeah, especially like reliability, frequency, and safety are all issues that TTC Riders is hoping to fix. Thanks, Jamie. Herman, what about you? Yeah, my name is Herman, uh, Herman Rosenfeld. I'm a retired uh, union uh, staff person. I used to be, I used to work for the Canadian Auto Workers. And um, I've been with TTC Riders since they began, about 15 years ago, 10 years. It's hard to remember exactly when. <laughs> and uh, I take public transit often when I travel across the city. I, I often, I, use, I cycle and very rarely I drive, but... Um, yeah, and I think public transit is an absolutely essential component of, uh, of uh, challenging climate change and also um, uh, dealing with livable cities, livable country. Perfect. So one of my first questions right out the bat is, you know, why public transit? There are a lot of causes that people get behind these days, right? You know, there's all sorts of areas you can get into. What made each of you decide you would put some efforts towards securing public transit and improving public transit in Toronto? Um, So on a personal note, I'm just, I'm a big transit enthusiast, so it's something I love and I want to see it be better. But I also think that it's something that affects so many people and it's much better for the environment than driving and is obviously like faster for long distances than walking or cycling, which are also great options. But yeah, so I think... It's something that should be a service for everyone. And when we cut back service or when we make fares inaccessible inaccessible to people, those are big issues that we shouldn't be seeing. Um, And so, yeah, I just, I like to see it be better for everyone. So you see it as a key to improving quality of life at the same time as fighting climate change. Yeah, exactly. Um, And yeah, it helps all sorts of people get to jobs and friends and family. I like, yeah. Perfect. Herman, why is this like one of your niches? I'm sure it's not all that you do, you know, not implying that, but, you know, what makes your passion in transit particularly? Well, partly similar things that Jamie was saying, you know, which I share. Um, I started out with, um, I'm a socialist. I was involved in a number of these different projects. And one of them was around uh, building a movement for uh, fair free transit. And the idea was transit should be like uh, going to the library uh, like Medicare should be, it should be a non-commodified right. Um, uh, one of the components of uh, building a different kind of a society, like you know, like housing shouldn't be uh, com- um, commodified either. But um, and uh, that uh, we started this little group uh, and uh, Free Transit Toronto, and then I uh, uh, one of the uh, activists who wanted to transform TTC Riders, which was mostly a paper organization at the time, into a, an activist organization, a membership, um, Jessica Bell. And she asked me, what, would you like to uh, help me do this? So I did. And uh, I think a lot of the, the reasons are similar. It's, um, I think, particularly, it's a central way of addressing uh, climate change. And in particular, if you look at the debates that are going on now about investments in uh, personal vehicles that are, you know, that are electrically driven, um, instead of in, in all that investment there, it should be in public transit for jobs, for uh, the structure of how we move around, and for doing a, transforming the society in a way that we need to do that, both in terms of decommodifying components of our life, and also in terms of addressing the climate emergency, because it isn't just uh, something that's out there. 
we were talking about that the other day that, you know, electrical vehicles are often pushed as a, a big solution, but that's a real kind of classist approach. Um, even with the rebates that we used to have, most people can't afford an electric vehicle, but the idea, I guess, is to make transit absolutely affordable. You say the decommodification of transit. Um, I hear free transit. I know you were part of the free transit movement or are. Is that incorporated into TTC riders? Well, the TTC riders would like to move in that direction. We've talked about it. And the strategy we've, we've, we've looked at was, would be increasing the, uh, the, the, the population that, that doesn't have to pay for transit. We were part of this, uh, this movement towards low-income fares. But the bottom line for that was um, that uh, people on social assistance, who in fact organized, um, demanded that it be free for them. And, uh, and that would be one of the ways of cutting uh, in the direction of both lowering fares, <clears throat> but of increasing the, the amount of people, the numbers of people, that, and, the pot, and the demographics that would have free transit. So eventually we would do that. Um, there's always been this d- debate, in, not in TTC riders, but in, in, the, tra- in the transit universe uh, about how you pay for for transit because you have to pay and traditionally in Toronto the very it's a very conservative city you know in terms of its uh, its elite or its political elite in particular and uh, this whole lot you see some of the people like Holiday or the Rob Ford and stuff like they come from that tradition that uh, well you should pay for this we're customers and all that kind of stuff and um, we challenge that so um you know um, it's it's not that TTC riders raise that as an immediate demand because it's something we're not going to win tomorrow, but something we work towards. And though some of us are, uh, are you know, think about this more than others, but fundamentally the organization moves in that direction. Would you agree, Jamie? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I think it's difficult to necessarily like the debates about how you're going to pay for transit if no one's actually paying a fare. Um, but I do think, especially for lower income people and uh, people like uh, who are younger and also like older and unemployed, it is an extremely important thing to push for. But if you do that, you know, and, and it becomes, uh, you know, uh, then it's uh, easier to argue this be for everybody. Because fundamentally, like pro- public transit isn't just something for the people, in the, uh, the poorest people. It's although poorest people absolutely depend upon transit for everything. Um, uh, but it's something that should be the way we travel the way cities are structured and uh, not just relegated for uh, um, the people who, um, who, who are at the lower end of the e- e- um, economic ladder. In fact, we want to change that, you know, about people being at the lower end of the economic ladder. Anyway, I hear that. You talked about demands, you know, free transit is not one of your demands, but a vision, but there, you folks have a lot of demands and I don't mean that as a criticism, what I am getting at is there's so many moving parts when it comes to just Toronto's transit. You know, um, I have a list here. You know, you have to keep track of the service cuts and their impact. You know, you got a mayor's race that you have to analyze. The budget to keep on top of and inform people of. The policing narrative that's going on in response to, you know, safety concerns. Fair hikes, you know, pushing back against that as well as moving towards, you know, free, free transit and then keeping 
folks accountable. We're talking about like rapid TO and the Scarborough solutions and like reminding people that promises aren't being made, you know, realizing that promises aren't being made. This is a lot of information to keep on top of. It's a lot to keep your supporters on top of. Like, how do you fight on so many fronts and how do you stay on top of so many moving parts? What's your secret? I think Herman can probably answer this better than me because he's been with DDC Riders a lot longer. But from what I've seen over the past year or so is that we have a lot of de- dedicated people who are like very passionate about the advocacy and they stay on top of so many different topics. It's very impressive, really. Um, and then there are we work with other advocacy groups um, who have like more niche focuses that sort of intersect with some of our projects. Um, and so they're also able to keep track um, on things. But yeah, I'm not sure if Herman has more to add about it. Before Herman goes, like, do you want to shout out any of those organizations? Like, who who do you kind of lean on sometimes? I think Jane and Finch Action Against Poverty is one of them. I, we've worked with them a lot for the safety report. I know there are so many others, but I can't remember their exact names right now. I'm so sorry. No, they're the shopping centers. They're community uh, hubs. And uh, I, I think... Jamie basically summarized, except I would add one more thing, that we have an executive director who uh, isn't, uh, isn't paid in a CEO's wages, and, uh, and she is incredible in terms of making sure that her name is Sheila Pisey-Allen, that she keeps up on all of this and that plugs in uh, the sort of the glops, uh, the clumps of young people in some places, older people in, other, in different communities, and uh, actually is a spark plug for keeping this thing going. And, uh, and uh, yeah, there's a, a young person that she has working with her, uh, Monica's uh, doing that stuff now, and a uh, whole series of other people, the person who's who, who very active around uh, um, disability issues and... Uh, and uh, there's you know there's there, there's people that are that work a lot around this, and there's a whole sort of a new layer of younger people, that I think Jamie's part of that that cohort sort of, that um, in different community different communities, that uh, but we were never we were mostly downtown for a long time in terms of advocating uh, you know important issues and go and trying to organize people to go to city hall and all that sort of stuff city council meetings, those are important things, but we didn't have like a base in different other, in other parts of the city. And that base is, is being built around, you know, younger people who, from different communities who live in those places. And a lot of them are really young, even high school kids. And uh, that's pretty special. Is that you, Jamie? Are you in high school? Yeah, grade 10, um, halfway through. And yeah, I completely agree with Herman, Sheila and Monica, um, and a lot of other people. Um, at TTC Riders do so much heavy lifting. Um, it's incredible. I didn't mean to ask you this, but I wonder if you can lend some insight into what I consider some a bit of a phenomenon. When I was in high school and in grade 10, and that wasn't too long ago, but I'm probably older than you think, and I'm sure, I don't know, maybe Herman can relate as well. I don't remember being that politicized. And I came from a very political family, so I was aware of politics, but the drive to act in this way and the bravery to come on a podcast, honestly, was not something I would have possessed at that age. Um, 
But I'm seeing so much of it, especially on the climate front. And I think like a lot of people can agree with that. What's happening here? Like, what drives you and your friends? Like, how come you're not hanging out at the mall and like parking lots and like what we used to waste our time with? How are you motivated? Like, and I'm so happy that you are like, just maybe you can help our audience who might be a little bit on the older scale understand this. Yeah, so I can't speak for everyone, but for me personally, sort of what I said earlier, like I just want to see things improving. So specifically with transit, I'd like to do that now in ways I can help. And I think it also just gives me better knowledge about the topics that I'm interested in. Also transit, but more, I think, with climate activism, people are also just like, really scared about the future like I'm not sure what my life or other people's lives are going to look like in even 10 years because we're not doing enough to solve the climate crisis and so yeah if you don't act now then yeah who knows what's going to happen later Um, but I assure you there is definitely still a lot of going to the mall and the parking lot yeah (laughs) well that's good it's deserved that's part of being young there's no judgment there thank you and yeah you don't I know you're not answering for everybody, but I'm I'm grateful that you use your free time this way. And because the reason we have this show is because not a lot of not everybody does. More and more people are, but almost all of us recognize that there's a problem. We just don't know what to do about it. And I'm glad you folks are finding avenues um, or creating them. What is it about TTC riders, though, that keeps you engaged? You know, a lot of our audience does organizing. They want more young people on board. They want growth like they see in other organizations. Like I see a lot of committee work that goes on with your group, a lot of press releases that are hitting the right marks, direct actions. Um, What's your kind of favorite part about TTC riders that they do that makes you want to put your time in there other than your love for transit like about the actions or the the structure I think from what I've seen there's sort of something for everyone to do like for me uh recently I did like some graphic design work for uh an upcoming safety report that we're doing and so that was a way I could help without like having the time to do like heavy research and like writing of a report and it was something I was already interested in beforehand. So, and then if you want to go like engage with the community, we have a lot of those sorts of activities too. So I think that's one way that we keep people engaged. And my favorite thing so far that TTC Riders has done uh, was painting like temporary bus lanes on Dufferin um, because the city delayed that indefinitely. Um, and tell us more. Did you do that? Were you part of that? I was unfortunately not part of that, but um, I was. When I, <laughs> oh, amazing! Um, but yeah, when I saw it the morning it happened, I was I was so amazed. I went over to see it before it got. I believe the city removed it, and it just shows that you don't need to take years to make transit riders' experience better. You can do it so soon. Yeah, so that was probably my favorite thing they've done so far. I love that you weren't even involved with it, but it brought you a sense of joy, right? And it probably even people who weren't involved at all saw it and were inspired or at least, you know, driven by it at some point. Herman, tell me a little bit more of that. Can you? Are you legally allowed to? Well, uh, um, 
For me, the reason why the TTC Riders is going is because of the issue, and we're trying to take on those issues. That's the issue. Because, you know, movements, they come and go, all of them, without a, an ongoing political, uh, you know, a, a permanent political uh, or larger political uh, organization of some kind. These movements, they come and they go. But transit is such a central thing. And, uh, and also TTC Riders has links to the labor movement, and uh, and also to the some of the the longer term uh, like the uh, uh, Toronto Environmental Alliance that have been around, but um, and also the things that Jamie was saying. These are the climate crisis is the kind of issue that's touching a lot of younger people right now. When I was in high school, I wasn't that politicized, but there was a there was I I went to school in the '60s, okay, in Newark, New Jersey, so it's different. But they had, it was mostly against the Vietnam War and fighting against poverty. But um, this is a, a critical front in the fight against uh, public transit. You, you, you read the papers today, you know, about how um, the federal government is and the provincial government are looking to how much money to give to these American companies, international companies, to build battery plants, right? Instead of using $13 billion to rebuild the public transit infrastructure in cities which could mean the same amount of uh, jobs. So those kinds of things, I think, inspire us to do these things, the bigger things. And, uh, but, you know, the movement is, is really doing all kinds of stuff now, and it has a lot to do with the stuff. There's a lot of shit to do. A lot of around transit, it's important. And, you know, for, you remember, every, every one, one Friday a month, there was a strike by students. Well, that stopped by COVID. You know, but I think a lot of that energy is the kind of energy that is getting some of the young people involved in something like TTC Riders. I've seen transit movements in some other cities, and they're often, since the transit, public transit is only for the poor in, say, I remember it was Edmonton and uh, in Regina and stuff, and really, or Niagara. You know, in other words, it's not something that's seen as a, a class issue of working people or you know, something that that's bigger because uh, around public, around the climate change, you need lots of people. So um, TTC Riders has that attitude and it's good. So that's why I, 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 I'm still involved and I've been involved like for 15 years or so, but it's not all I do, but I think it's absolutely essential. And also, once again, uh, somebody like Sheila, who actually, and uh, who actually is, is able to uh, plug in to to groups of young people, like uh, high school students, and I think that's really critical. Can you tell us a little bit about the painting of the lanes on Dufferin? Just because, you know, yes, you Jamie hear about got it? a real kick out of it, and I saw the look on your face. I do want to hear about it. How well, do you folks pull well, that off? What it was is that um, the, the city is, keeps on saying there will be bus lanes, but they, don't, they, won't, they won't pay for it, and they won't really get to do it. <laughs> So we figured, well, we're going to show them how to do it, and we're going to do. We got kids paint, so it would rub off easily, it would wash off. And uh, we went to uh, near Dufferin Station, and people cessed out the space. We got there early. Uh, we cessed out the space the night before, and then early in the morning the next day, we drove people there and materials, and we just went out and painted it. And then uh, we went back after we went just as if it never happened. So, um, and it got in the news and it excites, that kind of thing is exciting. It's not, it's low risk. It's not something that's confrontational, although there are places for confrontational stuff and it gets a message out. And that's a lot of the kind of stuff in that kind of vein 
that uh, the TCC writers has done. Like, you know, like this, um, you know, I remember once we, we had this, um, uh, you know, uh, much more called the sardine cans because there was so, so, you know, the packaging. So we all made up these pretend sardine cans and we went to the... Uh, because people the, are packed into subways. Yes, the the, okay. the subways and, okay. bu- and buses in particular. So he went to the uh, head of the head of the TTC at the time and uh, gave them an award as uh, I forget, you know, like as uh, sardine king and so that kind of stuff. And um, uh, uh, there's other analogs to that, so the kinds of things that people have done. So I mean, you know, but around the even around the, the low income fares, we had these. Ma- this is before COVID. We'd have hundreds of people go to TTC uh, meetings or executive board meetings, that was before the, you know, sort of people stopped coming out as people are starting to do that again. And we'd uh, interrupt meetings and, uh, you know, basically make points or shout slogans or that sort of stuff, but also pose questions like we do now, you know, like uh, when you you, you can uh, depute. But in those days, there were very pointed questions and very deep struggles. And people like uh, Doug Ford, who's now the prime premier, used to say, well, he used to ask, so what are you going to do to make efficiencies? You know, he's asked the same stupid question about cuts. But anyway, so um, there's a lot of creative things. And yes, that uh, creating, uh, painting that thing was pretty fun anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's nice to hear those because it also speaks to what Jamie was talking about, there being a real range of activities for folks to partake in. You know, not everyone is comfortable with going out and, you know, painting city roads. But, you know, it takes a range of tactics, too, to get where you guys need to go. So it's nice to hear that because, again, you've got a really good comms strategy from an outsider's perspective anyway. You know, going through the amount of times you folks get featured, uh, not just your direct actions, but your voices, right? Your perspectives, your questions to the mayor and demands of the mayoral candidates. And that's sometimes not easy to do from a grassroots perspective. And I imagine, or maybe I'll ask you, I won't surmise, who are you speaking to mostly when you do your work? You know, are you trying to speak to politicians to make better choices or are you trying to mobilize the communities around you to create that political pressure? I mean, maybe you're doing both, but the bulk of your work, who do you think it's aimed at? Jamie, do you want to take that one? Um, yeah, I can try to. Um, I think it is definitely both. Like when we were sort of planning uh, like the early stages of our safety report, um, which I was working on a lot, there was a big question of whether we should write it for the politicians and be very technical, or whether we should have a more simplified version towards just the general public um, so that they can understand it and understand also how they can get involved to help. So yeah, I think it sort of depends on the project, and you need to mobilize the community to get change to happen. Uh, if no one else is asking for the change, it's not going to happen. But you do also need to force politicians to make the changes. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen either. So they do go hand in hand. And I think we do a bit of both. Herman, like this is that's a great answer from someone. And I, I hate to bring up your age again, but I'm just in awe because 
Jamie, what you're going to do with that kind of knowledge to understand that there's different levers of pressure when you want political change is like you're light years ahead of where most of us were, you know, like a lot of us know to make noise, but, you know, starting to learn where to direct that noise and who's likely to aid in, you know, your mission that's, you know, sometimes that has to come with a lot of trial and error. So it hearing that come from the both of you and just like, I'm already impressed with the organization and just the knowledge base it seems to be building as well in its members and in the public. See, there's a mutual dependence about what Jamie was saying, you know, you, you can't get politicians, particularly in a, in a nominally depotted politicized, they nominally, because they don't have parties in Toronto. But even so, the political parties aren't, there's very little difference between the Liberals and the NDP on the one hand, and certainly and the Conservatives, there are differences. But um, you, you want exactly what Jamie said, you, you build a mass base and you pressure these people to do some of the things you need them to do. If you stop that pressure, they will not do anything. And whatever they do, unfortunately, has to articulate with the needs of business, which is a problem. Nobody's challenging the domination that business has in the province, in the country, and the city, which is the biggest hub, like the um, the biggest hub of you know of of the economy. And um, so that relationship is always important. But for an organization like ours, which also wants important short-term reforms, and has them, like for example, the two-hour um, you know, uh, time you can get off the subway and uh, in the bus and do things and not have to pay again. That's something that TTC Riders was one of the leaders in pushing. And also this thing right now about the busway, a dedicated busway replacing the uh, the RT in Scarborough. There are others, but these things, they require that you do both things, that you build a base and that you pressure politicians. But for me, the critical point is always the base. And having an organization which is not just, you know, the difference between organizing and mobilizing in the sense that a, a relatively small number, even though we have a lot more people, that mobilize other people um, and, get, and, and get things done. That's where we're at at this stage. But you want to have an organization eventually which has a big, that's a big meeting, has big meeting, big mass base, not just names on, uh, that you call up. And the people who call, they're, they're an increasing number. <laughs> and Jamie's an example of saying those things, of, of describing that. Um, but you want to be able to build in the communities a transit movement, which isn't natural necessarily. Just, you can't look at the last 40 years and say there's been all these transit movements. Uh, it's something that we have to build. And we are starting to build in a particular way. But, you know, those of us who are more skeptical about the politicians also realize that we want them to make certain kinds of decisions. And unless you study who they are, what their perspectives are, how to pressure them and that sort of thing, then we'll be around getting people. We won't get any results. But uh, we've got some results because that, that balance, that contradiction is always going to be there. So, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that struggle that you mentioned in having a, a strong transit movement, uh, especially in the past when so many people rely on it, but maybe not the right people. And uh, you mentioned it earlier. There's quite a few issues that typically resonate more with 
low-income folks than they do with workers, even though we have plenty of workers that are low low income, right? But I'm talking mostly folks in legislated poverty that just don't get prioritized or just don't gain the momentum that they need for change, you know, and that's typically because it's hard to build larger alliances around that that don't involve specifically workers, worker issues, even though you've made the case that, you know, transit isn't everybody issue. It's just not typically seen that way. Do you think that plays into the difficulty in creating a larger mass transit movement? And if I'm completely wrong, like where are your areas of resistance? You know, who's who's fighting you on keeping transit public or moving towards a free transit scenario? Well, there's a difference between um, vested interests and wealthy interests around things like pu- public-private partnerships, about uh, about um, serving these, uh, you know, like as condo areas and that sort of stuff, how to build gentrification, that kind of stuff. And also, there's a difference in terms of getting people some confidence to be able to do things. Because people who are, um, when I say working class issue, I don't just mean uh, an employment issue or in workplaces, class strategies. Uh, you know, is exists in social reproduction and housing and communities, and components of the working class who are less organized because they don't have the, the economic power, right? Uh, they're going to be weaker in a lot of ways, which means that the form of organization needs to be powerful, and they need to be organized in ways that are in articulated with with other workers who are in different, like for example, transit workers. Or workers who uh, people have to get across town, uh, you know, uh, who re- rely on, on on transit, and also workers who drive, which is probably it's a, it's a con- one of the contradictions, you know. But um, you want to be able to organize all of those people, and the barriers are partly, you know, for the elites. They don't want uh, a transit movements, or they want a transit a transit movement that fits in with their vision of where uh, the city should be built. And also the notion, the, the reality that amongst uh, lower income communities, there's less public transit, right? Even that the buses are, you know, the service is being cut. Um, there's, um, you know, like this whole LRT network that was supposed to be built and paid for by the conference of uh, province, Ford uh, Nixed, Rob Ford Nixed. And so, on. Um, you know, like it, in, in communities with food deserts, you know, with, um, you know, uh, th- those kinds of things. There's transit deserts as well. And that's why we're, we find really hard to organize people in place in places like Scar- parts of Scarborough, uh, in parts of North York, in all kinds of places, in alliance with other people who are doing this. I mean, this woman who, um, who, who was a housing uh, activist, uh, Padovani was her name. She just, she lost by 94 votes to, uh, to one of the most conservative uh, Politicians in in uh, in you know in in part of Toronto, and we helped help working with not by we we're not a, a non uh, we don't work for any particular political uh, organization, but we're raising certain issues. It's pretty obvious the kind of people we want to do. So I mean, the the obstacles are from the people who don't want to uh, the kind of transit we do, and don't necessarily want to build, and uh, don't particularly uh, care about. Whether there's um, whether transit uh, fares are low or not, and the other obstacle is that people aren't used to being organized, particularly people in communities that you know that have never organized around public transit. 
around transit. It's not as if there's a 70-year-old 70 uh, year old history of these movements. There isn't. And this is part of what TTC Riders is a part of a generation of building this kind of a movement. And it's, uh, and it's within different stratum of the working class that we're working with. So. Jamie, what about you? Like, what are the biggest barriers, even if they're personal, to kind of getting this work done? Yeah, so personally, I'm very busy with school and sports and all that. So I struggle to find time. And I think advocacy is a very t- time-demanding thing to do. Um, but more so on the larger scale, I think um, just finding ways to mobilize and convince people um, of making these changes is very difficult. Funding is something that I find, especially in government, is very iffy. Um, like funding even for transit or funding for your organization and like the work you do? Uh, funding for transit. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, like so with probably Rapid both. TO. <laughs> probably both, yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, like with Rapid TO, for example, um, it, I think the whole network was supposed to be finished by now. Uh, and then they were like, okay, actually maybe we're not going to fund this. And there are so many more examples and it's just, it's a lot, it's not very much money. And like Herman's been saying earlier too, with like EV rebates and stuff, that money could also just be better spent on improving public transit. Do you think this, Jamie, this question's for you. Do you think folks rely on, when I say folks, I mean the people in power that make promises and don't keep them. Do you think they rely on people being too busy to pay attention or too busy to do anything about it. A lot of your work seems to be holding people accountable to promises they've already made. I mean, it's a lot of work getting a policy passed or advocating for it. You get it passed and then they just don't do it. So how do they think, how do you think they think they can get away with that? Honestly, I'm not really sure. Uh, Like I am not sure about the general uh, public and like the majority, but uh, for transit advocates, we notice when politicians don't do things and we definitely try to keep them accountable. Uh, so I don't think it's a very good strategy in the short term. It can make them look good supporting something, but in the long term, it definitely makes, uh, them seem like very, like not untrustworthy. Um, and like just politicians who aren't very accountable for improving services. Um, so it's, they're, Sorry, they're saying, Go ahead. No, I'm going to say they're saying a lot now that the, the public mood is is more towards uh, moving towards more activists, more progressive, at least in Toronto for now. You know, and, and it's in line, I think, with what Jamie just said. But, you know, these most of the politicians who are not coming up from the activist communities um, are business types or they basically they're funded by developers and we know who we're talking about. They're funded by almost the, all of them, <laughs> or by the financial capital, which basically makes a, a huge decisions, uh, and they're in, intimately tied up with other kinds of uh, capitalist elites, and um, they're tied to uh, political parties like the the provincial conservatives, which are you know like sort of have a handle on 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 the the main um, groupings of capital in 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 our cities in, in our city. And that's who these people serve, even if they want to make, be able to spend money on uh, on public transit. They are subservient to other kinds of interests. 
And I don't mean just in a sneaky way in terms of that's how they look at the world. That that you, I think it's mostly how they work at the world because it it is it, it's a it's a lazy populist analysis to say oh just because they're crooks or they're they're bought off. There's reasons why they 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 take money from them. They look at the world a particular way, and um, that's what we need to challenge. You know the fact that people in workplaces don't have enough time to organize themselves into unions, or the fact that people in community working people in communities have trouble being able to sit down and you know analyze what how can I be proactive in these kinds of movements is conscious this is there, there's a the ruling stratum of our society disorganizes the potential of working class people to be able to become you know uh, you know proactive and uh, and uh, you know all that kind of stuff and uh, that's part of what we're fighting against you know in ourselves and our families and everything all this kind of stuff in Ontario it's particularly difficult now under Ford, there's just so many fronts to be fighting on. So although you do have networks, you know, they've got their hands full too. specific legislation that they've got to push back on. And, you know, that might be related to transit might not be, but, and then, yeah, you look to the person next to you and they're fighting a completely different battle, maybe on a school board level. And a lot of the funding for public, for cities and public transit is based upon, used to be 50% of the operations that was funded by the, the, the provincial government. That changed with Harris. And the, when the Liberals got elected, they didn't change it back. So, I mean, the, the cities are so much, it's interesting, are so much of the tool of, of, of the power, more powerful province. And, uh, and you know, look, they, they transformed the uh, city council. They, uh, they, they have this powerful mayor, a whole series of things. Uh, they have this thing where they, they can actually step in and prevent say, a, a non-market uh, solution to to uh, housing by simply saying that what they call a ministerial order, we can build this, build this, and they're not funding public transit that way. So, I mean, this, it means that cities, doesn't mean cities can't do anything. And a lot of our work is around the city. We can, from what Jamie was saying, in terms of building, putting pressure on, and we get things, we've won things that way. But you also have the fact that, you know, the, the worst kind of elites are, are backed by the conservative, you know, the uh, Ontario conservative PCs, they call themselves, in Ontario. And part of that means to change the provincial government. And that's part of the, the constraints that TTC Riders works under, <laughs> you know. We've waded into politics pretty deeply at this point. So, you know, I've got to ask about the Toronto mayoral race. I'm sure you folks have very specific demands or questions, concerns that you have coming out of these campaigns. Um, are Is TTC Riders backing a candidate? What's their, how's, what's their approach here during this very important race? As far as I'm aware, and Herman, please uh, clarify for me, we're not backing any candidates. I think TTC Riders certainly wants to see whoever is elected, be very supportive of funding transit, increasing service and reversing the service cuts and looking at non-confrontational ways of solving safety issues. So not just police, but finding ways to um, also fix the underlying issues that are causing the safety concerns, but also having better support systems on the system, uh, like on the subway system to fix uh, safety concerns when they arise. Um, yeah, I think those are the major points. And, of course, bus lanes and other 
issues that TTC riders has been advocating for. It's a little harder to get bus lanes, you know, debated on, right? They like to talk about taxes and this law and order narrative is pretty heavy and it centers pretty much on transit. Herman, you know, how are you feeling about this race? You know, you talk about, Jamie talks about, you know, funding and wanting someone who would adequately fund transit. You know, you guys spend $33 million a day on police. Does that pretty much exclude any current counselors running? Because they've uh, not done a great job funding you so far. We, we don't. I, I Jamie basically summarized, and, and I, Jamie was very active in the, in a very, very, the, the safety stuff that we've done around the, the, the way we responded to that that onslaught that came, you know, that ideological onslaught was, I think, was very reasonable. And Jamie sort of summarized what we've been saying around it. But, uh, no, the law and order thing has is, is not been the main topic in the, in the election. The right wing, some, some people have tried to make it such, but it hasn't had the resonance that it had made, it made a couple of months ago, if you've noticed. Um, and uh, our issues are, well, what we did is, as Jamie was saying, we, we basically had this uh, scorecard you know, a questionnaire, we asked, I think there are 23 questions, and we interviewed some of the candidates around around critical issues that Jamie mentioned, including like, you know, like this um, uh, commercial par- parking uh, levy that, that would help to fund, you know. We're, as a revenue tool, right? As a revenue tool. We don't have huge re- revenue tools, you know, and... Uh, also, uh, you know, some of them are, are talking about raising taxes on, on, the, on the wealthy and even, uh, even um, in, um, property tax increases that would be progressive in the sense that they would only affect, say, people with houses that were worth $3 million or so or more and that sort of stuff. But um, no, we, don't, we can't take a position on a particular candidate, but um, it's pretty obvious what, um, you know, the, the, those who articulate what we're interested in and have our have our particular points of view, and that's what we're doing. And we also have something we're going to do around it, around getting people to vote, because part of the problem is that a lot of the people who are affected by the issues that we're, we're concerned about uh, don't necessarily get out and vote, particularly this is a, this is like a by-election, although, um, and so this is part of what we're we're trying to do in terms of getting people to understand this and, and, and come out. So. Well, we'll link people to the scores on your report cards, they can see for themselves where people were answering. Um, is there anything else that you want our audience to know? You got anything else up your sleeve that, you know, we should know about, get excited about? I, I think we covered a lot of, I covered a lot of the things, the things we're doing. And I guess one of the issues, the issues that is, is really important is, is to replace the Scarborough RT which a lot of people didn't even know was going to be closed down with a dedicated busway, which would, you know, would be the, uh, you know, a, a meta, you know, would replace a, this broken down technology. And uh, it also would allow people to walk, to bike, to bike. And uh, it also would be dedicated as much as we possibly can. And it needs to be funded. It's like the stuff that Jamie was mentioning that the politicians promise, you know, well, they'll, they'll bus lanes or they'll build the busway, but they won't fund it. We want these things funded. And yeah, maybe some of the money that goes that's going into policing, increasing policing, doesn't mean that, you know, police are necessarily bad, but increasing the, you know, dealing with safety as a way of, of sort of militarizing the, the subways isn't necessarily what we want. 
we can take that funding and use it partly for uh, resources that you know to deal with people who have issues. But um, and there's reasons why there's more that because it has to do with the cuts that have been made, and um, and use it to, to to fund things like public transit. We basically don't want the uh, um, the austerity agenda, which has ra racked our, uh, our our city council for years. This remember when I talked about how. Uh, Ford always used to say, oh, what about efficiencies? It's all about cutting, you know? He's saying, if you want money, even now he's saying you want more money for the province, uh, you have to have proof that you can, uh, you, you, you can efficiencies, which means cuts. So um, it's that kind of a thing that we're hoping people talk more about during this election, and transit is the critical part about that. So. Adding on to what Herman was saying uh, at the beginning there, um, yeah, a lot of people don't know about the changes happening to transit. Uh, in Toronto, um, and especially the Scarborough RT, a lot of people don't know that that's going to be closing in November of this year. So if you have the time and are interested, I would definitely recommend just going out and going to one of our canvassing and flyering events. It educates people um, who use the line, and that helps them, but it also mobilizes more people to advocate for better transit, um, and that pushes the politicians to make change. Jamie, it's almost like you knew what my last question was going to be. And I was going to throw it to you, you know, what do you want from the audience? You know, what would you ask of them? And you did it. So <laughs> I'm just going to thank you folks so much for taking the time to come on because I, you know, I can hear that you're busy people, even just with TTC riders on your plate. There's just so much work there to do. We will try to amplify your work through the show. And again, we'll share as many links back to your work as we can. Again, thank you for your advocacy and your work. Not everybody does this and the show hopes to aim to bolster your ranks a bit, you know, um, maybe not directly with your organization, but, you know, we're all working towards that same kind of vision of equity. So thank you, Jamie. And thank you, Herman. Enjoy your Friday night. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having us on. That is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.